Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Now, mihi nui and welcome. From Radio New Zealand National, here's Our Changing World. The Psychology of Climate Change. More than two-thirds of New Zealanders think that climate change is happening, and of those, the majority believe that we are causing it. We're ahead of many other countries in this respect, but surveys also show that one in every five people is not convinced that climate change is human-made. Veronica asks Victoria University psychology lecturer Mark Wilson why that is, given the near 100% consensus of the science community and the evidence that is available to us now. It can't just be about the science. It can't just be about the evidence. It certainly can't just be about trying to educate people about that because this, is a, this has been a very common message that, that people are exposed to. You'd have to really live under a rock to not know in the Western world that there's an issue here. So if it's not going to be about education, intelligence or any of these things, I think that um, there must be something else going on and that's the starting point for what I'm interested in. So we do know a lot about why people, um, once they have a view are very resistant to change. So, um, I mean, one of my favourite illustrations here is that we like to think that we, we know what we're talking about. We like to think that we're credible, that pe- we have an opinion that other people should listen to. That's whatever position we currently hold at the moment, and that applies to people across you know, all parts of this particular argument. When we're presented with information that contradicts what we already think, that's quite threatening. Um, in fact, we know from decades of research that that People show what we call sort of self-deceptive enhancement. Uh, we tend to kid ourselves about how smart and how cool we are. And this is associated with our self-esteem. So the more you kid yourself about how cool you are, the better you feel about yourself. So when we're threatened, when we're invited to consider the fact that maybe what we think isn't right, then that's potentially a threat to the positive view we have of ourselves. And we resist it. And we resist it in a variety of different ways. We discount the evidence for a start. Um, we, we, we convince ourselves that there's, there's more going on. We might engage in conspiracy theorising that um, there's a gap in the official story and that might be where naughtiness is occurring. And we see conspiracy theories on both sides of this particular argument. We see pro-environmentalists arguing that there are vested financial interests who don't want to see us changing what we're currently doing. And to some extent, I think that's very correct. And there are people who are sceptical, who would argue that there's a conspiracy on the part of um, certain governments and green energy activists to try and undermine whatever is going on and make a niche for themselves. Um, So it's, it's... Once you've got that view, it's actually very difficult to dissuade people from it. How much does it take? Because if you were a diehard sceptic at the moment, Mm. you would probably face things like ridicule from certain Mm. centres, possibly even the loss of friends who Mm. may be moving in another direction, all sorts of isolation-type scenarios. Mm. That's still a cost that people Mm. pay. Well, one of the reasons why we hold the beliefs that we do is because they tend to be held by the people around us, or at least the people whose opinions we think matter. 
So um, I know that from my early research looking at political preference in New Zealand, we tend to surround ourselves with people who tend to think like us. And as a result, it's not that our social networks convince us that we should vote for John Key or Winston Peters. Rather, they insulate us from alternative points of view, which might make us consider um, that our reasons for supporting a particular party may not be as black and white as, as we, we like to think. So the ec- echo chamber effect, really? Exactly. So there's a combination of passive and active persuasion that happens in social networks. One of the psychological models that's been, or theories that's been used to try and explain behaviour change or the lack of it, uh, I think all the theory of planned behaviour, has a number of components. One of them is the perception of social norms. What do you think other people believe is going on. Another important part is what you personally believe, and usually those things are correlated. You're more likely to believe what you think other people believe. Um, So in the case of something like climate change, you might be surrounded by friends who believe that climate change is happening. You might believe that climate change is happening yourself, but the third component becomes really important, and that's perceived behavioural control. Do you think you can do anything about it? And this is, I think, one of the major impediments for people to actually engaging in um, ameliorative, mitigative behaviours that they, 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 generally speaking, believe would be, you know, would be the sorts of things that the people around them think you should be doing. So there's research again in New Zealand uh, that uh, coming out of Wellington that shows that people tend to feel quite powerless about climate change. It's a global problem. What can I as an individual do? And the more fatalistic and powerless people feel, the less likely they are to actually do anything. Because if it's not going to make any difference, why would you bother doing it? And that applies even, obviously, to the people who do think that climate change is an issue. There's still a big hurdle there to then get on with doing whatever you can as you all Mm -hmm. share. Yeah. I find if I'm with somebody who does more, mm. who does something that I think I should be doing but I'm not, mm-hmm. it doesn't actually inspire me. Mm-hmm. It does the opposite. I feel even yeah. more stupid and more powerless. And I wonder, is there a way of breaking that cycle so that those mm. who are a few steps ahead can actually mm-hmm. somehow inspire others to, to mm. do the same rather than putting them off? I mean, there are good reasons to think that positive role models will be really useful in in the climate change situation. We know this because actually positive role models are useful in lots of different situations. In the last election, we saw social media and television advertising campaigns targeting young people to try and get them out and vote. And to some extent, they were limitedly successful. In the case of the anti-smoking, ongoing anti-smoking campaign, we also see role models being wheeled out. Of course, at the same time, those are the ones that are put in front of us, but it's not hard to then go and find other people whose opinions or positions or credibility we value, who actually engage in those behaviours. So we know that movie stars still smoke. We know that there are people who still don't vote, for example. So it's not as straightforward as just presenting a single exemplar. Um, And in fact, I think one of the major issues here, it's a long-standing issue in the area of climate change, is the extent to which people see authorities as credible. So it may well be the case that 97% of climate science and something like 97% of climate scientists believe in anthropogenic climate change. But if you don't trust them, then it doesn't matter. (laughs) And there is, over the last 10, 20 years, been an increase in mistrust of scientists and um, authorities, particularly political institutions. And if you see scientists as being sort of uh, the the right arm of political organisations in particular, then you're even less likely to trust them. Which there really aren't in most countries. That's right. This is about perception. And coming back to the point that I made earlier, that 
we have an investment in thinking that what we think is the right thing to think. When we're presented with a barrage of evidence to suggest that's not the case, then we engage in these sort of cognitive dissonance-reducing types of strategies. Cognitive dissonance is that sort of feeling of unease at holding, um, having to hold uh, incongruent ideas. Um, so we engage in, in rationalisations that lead us to downplay the nature of the evidence that might lead us to question the credibility of the people who are presenting that evidence to us. Let me go to that point of the growing mistrust. This is while actually a lot of people have made a huge effort to change that. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's years of Mm. different ways of communicating science. Do you have any ideas of Mm. how to kind of get into this a bit Mm. more? I mean, for me, one thing would be the language, and particularly Mm. in climate change. I think that plays a big role because the scientific evidence is presented Mm -hmm. and has to be presented with the known uncertainties, but, you know, if you and I talk in a non-scientific context and you say Mm. something's uncertain, I think it's not going to happen. Yet in the context of climate change, it's the opposite. Mm. Some of the uncertainties actually express a very high likelihood of it happening. The fact that this has exercised much more brilliant minds than mine without success (laughs) doesn't matter. Um, Look, as a scientist, you have to live with uncertainty because you know that a lot of the time you're working with statistical models which at the end of the day, for example, might give you 95% confidence in a particular outcome. At the same time, because of the way that we do things, there's still that 5% chance that it, whatever we're looking at is due to random variation. So as a scientist, I'm, I'm very comfortable with working with those ideas. But as you point out, people on the street may not think about uncertainty in the same way that I do. So, for example, the IPCC 2007 report said that it was likely or very likely there would be a variety of consequences of what was currently going on. Studies going to the people on the street and asking them how they interpreted that made it very clear that they saw this as relatively unlikely, whereas the authors of that report chose that language to indicate a certain level of certainty. So I think what we do have here is a gap between lay and expert use of language. language. It is really just a bit, isn't it? Semantics. Um, So the public um, lecture at Victoria University recently, which Tim Nash talked about, um, some of the I love the way he presents himself as an interpreter of the data. He was very unequivocal. He was more unequivocal than I've ever seen him. So he said, there are three things that are as close to facts as you can take away from this. Firstly, the climate's changing. Secondly, it's because of stuff that we're doing. And third, if we don't do things, it's going to get worse. And he I mean, presents, even the IPCC is using that word. That's right. Unequivocal. But it's an acknowledgement of that gap in the way that we, we live in different sort of discursive worlds. It's also an acknowledgement of the fact that as far as we need data, it's all there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and not just one source of data either. We have multi-trajectorial evidence to say that, this, that, that there's something going on. I think where the issue of uncertainty also manifests as a sort of a counter to people engaging in mitigative action is, is actually the, the different scenarios that we have for what might happen. Because what we have is a number of models that suggest different impacts, different increases in temperature, for example. And for a scientist, that's your confidence interval, really. That's, that's indicating it's going to be between this and this 95% of the time. But for the person on the street, that might be an indication that we're uncertain. We can't even agree amongst ourselves. And again, this, this indicates that there's this gap in the way that we think about the world. How do we address it? Well, if we were to take some of the strategies which we've used in other sorts of areas, I mean, anyone who watches television will have seen numerous public education campaigns around things like drink driving, uh, around things like smoking, uh, around any number of things that we know are bad for us. 
And we can apply many of the same sorts of principles. So for a start, we see that advertising campaigns don't remain the same. We don't just have the same advert encouraging people not to drive drunk. And part of the reason for that is because we habituate over time. We, we become familiar. We become desensitised to particular forms of a message. So the challenge for the campaign designers is to come up with different ways of framing the same issue, but in ways that will grab attention of the sort of slightly jaded and cynical because we've seen it all before. I think that we've learnt a lot, in fact, from these types of shock advertising campaigns. We now know that if we want to stop people from drink driving, there's a risk when we show them really, really horrible consequences of that type of action that what we do is we make them feel guilty and then they feel resentful for being made to feel guilty and then they switch off, they change the channel, they ignore entirely. Whereas the people who are already converted sit there going, oh, that's very bad, we shouldn't do that sort of thing. And I think ultimately there are two parts to this. One is how can science communicators actually um, engage in diverse ways of getting the message across. But at the same time, even if we got it exactly right, we're not going to be able to convince everyone. And the reason for that is that a lot of the views that people hold aren't just held in isolation. They aren't something which that person only thinks about. They're part of an interconnected web of other issues and attitudes that, that, that they believe in. So I'm very interested in the political psychology of climate change. I think that a lot of the inertia around climate change isn't so much to do with climate change as an issue as the fact that climate change is connected to a set of other really important issues in such a way that if we were to change our views on climate change, we'd probably be having to be changing the way that we think about a variety of different things. These are worldviews. The position on climate change or whether or not humans evolved from simpler organisms or any of the political issues which we see at the moment, so things like the flag or republicanism, for example, they're all interconnected. So my research and other people's shows that there's a very strong link between what people think about particular political issues and their views on climate change. In North America, climate change scepticism has sort of been characterised as a, a rich, conservative, white man's kind of disease. And in New Zealand, it's quite interesting because it doesn't seem to be particularly strongly associated with income. It doesn't seem to be particularly strongly associated with ethnicity. And my data, I don't find big differences. At the same time, it's very consistently the case that it's conservative men who tend to be more likely to oppose the idea of climate change. The interconnection of all of these things signals that it's a worldview. And when you target one particular part of it, you've got all the inertia of the other things around it as well. So let's perhaps for a minute accept that it's never going to be everybody, which mm. is likely to be true even in well, the people in still distant. smoke. So. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I wonder whether we could flip that around and make it an advantage in a way because it is a global problem, because mm. it will affect everybody in some level. Everybody does have mm. a stake in it in a way, and there must be things that we all share. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking in this case of communicating mm -hmm. climate change, not as a problem, not mm -hmm. as a yeah. thing that we're all guilty mm -hmm. of, but actually mm -hmm. as something that we all have a stake in and whatever we do yeah. will be better for us. Well, there's certainly research to suggest that it would. And this research starts from the, the sort of position that I, I'm, I'm adopting, which is the moment you start to make it about the evidence, you, you pit people against each other because you're active, activating those existing networks of, of attitudes. So I really like um, some research conducted by Paul Bain and colleagues in Queensland, where they started by asking a large group of people, what do you think 
Australia would be like in 50 years' time if people engaged in this set of actions. And they gave them a list of the sorts of things which we know are sort of you know, mitigating um, actions against climate change. And they found some really interesting things. Irrespective of whether or not someone actually believed that climate change is happening, people tended to say, well, actually, a future Australia would be a nicer place. We're probably going to be more compassionate. Uh, we're probably going to care for each other more. There are, there, there's a good chance, actually, that um, we'll see numerous advances in technology because we're going to be investing in things that we haven't necessarily invested as much in before. There were some, sort of, was a certain level of doom saying around things like you know, economic success, for example, because of concerns around where Australia's sort of traditional economy has, has gained its advantage. But generally speaking, people felt pretty positive. So in this, the second step of the research, what Bain and colleagues did was to go and ask people, basically, you know, would you do these things to make Australia a better place? And people, regardless of their position, feel pretty comfortable if you frame them in terms of what the future payoff is going to be. So it's moving it away from whether or not climate change is happening to let's make the world a better place. And when I talk about this, I show Joel Pitt's very sort of now famous uh, USA Today cartoon, which essentially takes this position, what if we're making a better world for our children? And there's a sceptic in the audience who says, yeah, but what if it's a hoax and we made the world a better place for nothing? And I think that's a really positive way to shift the argument. That was Mark Wilson at Victoria University's School of Psychology. That's all for now. For more, check us out on the web, radioNZ.co.nz forward slash Our Changing World. Kia ora mai. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.